You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Well, welcome back in. It is the latest edition of the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. I am merely the somewhat rested, somewhat capable host. And we've kind of reached a little lull here with only the baseball all-star game going on this week. Not much else happening before the Major League Baseball schedule resumes. Still not quite yet to football and the football season and everything else ramping back up. In any event, we are glad that you're with us. We've got a lot to do. He is back with me. He is the uh, guy that you read all the time, the owner, the operator of SportsMediaWatch.com. Love to be back with Paulson, a.k.a. John Lewis. Uh, did you get your fill of the National League versus the American League as we come in on a new podcast? How are you? I'm doing all right. Uh, I did watch a little bit of the game last night. You know, I mean, what else is there to watch? That's why, it, uh, you know, it's a midsummer classic. You know, uh, ultimately, it was that or uh, Hogan's Heroes, which <laughs> I did actually, I did actually catch a little bit of Hogan's Heroes last night. So. Oh, that is tremendous. Sergeant Schultz is a great metaphor for a lot of the things that I do on sports radio and in life. I know nothing. I know nothing. And and by the way, the younger generation really doesn't know what we're talking about. I, no. I should I should make mention uh, here, too, that we've got a lot to get to. We thank you for finding us. The Sports Media Watch dot com podcast feed continues to grow, has a great uh, response from you folks in the audience. I want to tell you that we've got a special guest. Uh, John, we're doing something uh, different here on the feed for next week. We're kind of kicking back and taking a week to step back. But we are going to have something new or at least new for the newer audience because on the sportsmediawatch.com uh, podcast feed, we've got encores of some of the best interviews from George Offman's Tell Me a Story I Don't Know podcast. Not just any names in the sports media business, but names like Bob Costas, Eddie Olchick, Mike Wilbon, Sarah Kustak, and Mike Greenberg. Those are the five different conversations and interviews and all of those individuals have compelling stories. They are known uh, for different things. Of course, uh, Costas, obviously, uh, probably the iconic broadcaster, maybe the last 40 years. But all of those individuals known for something different for different reasons. 
So I know we are excited. We're going to bring those back. And what is your line from the NBC TV days? If you didn't see it, it's, if you haven't seen it, if you haven't seen it, it's new to you. It's right? new to you. If you haven't heard it, it's new to you as well yeah. for the encores here for uh, this upcoming week. George will be with us on this podcast. I had a chance to catch up with him about doing those interviews. Interesting also, John, that George has talked with Eddie Olchek on the broadcasting news that he's leaving the Chicago Blackhawks broadcast which he has been part of the local regional broadcast, not just his national work. This is a big deal in Chicago. The guy has been synonymous with the Blackhawks for the better part of 30 plus years as a player and a broadcaster. And he has now left the Blackhawks to take a gig on TV with the Seattle Kraken. Uh, that will now be the second year of that expansion franchise. Uh, and George will explain this when he's talking, he spoke to Eddie Olchick about that decision. Um, and, and then obviously we'll be replaying, encoring the conversation that George had with Eddie about his broadcasting, about his love for Chicago, his love for the NHL. You'll hear all of that next week, but I, I thought it was interesting. You'll hear George in his own words, having spoken with, spoken with Eddie Olchick. And again, that's a, a big deal in the Chicago market. So uh, George is coming up. We've got uh, Mike and Phil with the announcer schedules podcast on this feed. So make sure you're following or subscribing on Apple podcasts, Spotify, Google podcasts, wherever you get your podcast search sports media, watch, you get all of these shows on that feed and you'll want to be here for Costas Kustak. Let's see if I get it right. Greenberg, Olchek, Wilbon. That's the, that's the all-star lineup we have. Forget about the AL and the NL all-stars. That's the all-star lineup we have for next week for the encore editions of tell me a story. I don't know. With that being said, let's get into the All-Star game. Full confession to you. While I did watch the All-Star game, let's back up to Monday night, and we're not even to love it or leave it yet. I have left it for years. I don't watch the Home Run Derby. Did you partake and watch the Home Run Derby on Monday night, going back to Monday? I had it on in the background, you know, on mute, not really paying any attention to it. Uh, you know, look, I don't know. Uh, home run derby is one of those things that was really much more fun as a, as a teenager, uh, certainly back when everyone was on steroids. Uh, and, uh, you know, look, uh, it's just, it, it's not, not like the dunk contest. I mean, the dunk contest is an actively bad viewing experience, but the home run derby is, I'm surprised it gets the numbers it gets. It gets great numbers, right? It had more viewers than the actual NBA All-Star game and the actual Pro Bowl, right? Wow. That's not a small thing. Now, of course, you could say, well, the NBA All-Star game was on opposite the Olympics. The Pro Bowl was on, well, pretty much unopposed, but still, you know, during the height of sports and the home run derby has no real competition. But again, more viewers than any other All-Star event in sports except for the actual MLB All-Star game. And uh, one of these days, it's going to catch and surpass the, the MLB All-Star game. I think uh, that's pretty inevitable. So, you know, all, you know, I mean, look, when, when, when all is said and done, it was a great number. Uh, you can't quibble with that number. Um, as far as the viewing experience for me personally, yeah, I mean, probably not. Not, not something I'm that interested in. The no I would submit, and I think for a lot of people, the novelty wore off long ago on just watching this in the 90s. And again, I'm older watching this in the 90s and into the 2000s, how many different ways can we be amazed by somebody hitting 10 consecutive home yeah. runs, especially when Major League Baseball has openly admitted now they juice some of the balls up for this home run derby, not just the players being juiced up like you joked, but they juice some of the balls up so they'll fly farther for the home run derbies, which they've done in the past. It's just, it's run its course with me. I don't have to sit and yeah. and and watch i mean if they varied it up and did it in some other form or fashion maybe like a tag team thing or alternating thing i might be more interested 
but it just, the novelty is not there. So that kind of segues into Tuesday. I did watch most of the all-star game and the festivities building up to it. So John, what was your thought on uh, Fox's coverage, which included Joe Davis making his debut in the booth on the Fox all-star game. Am I correct? That's the first time since 1995 that someone other than Joe Buck broadcasted the all-star game for Fox or broadcast the all-star game period. You got to go back, I think to Costas, right in 1995 and the baseball network or NBC or whoever did the all-star game in 95. That's the last time it was somebody other than Joe Buck. Am I right on that? I usually rely on you for that. Yeah, that'd be 2000 for Costas. Cause remember NBC had the all-star game alternating with Fox in the world okay. series too. So, so 2000 with Costas, but still that's 22 solid years. Uh, you know, so let's talk a little bit about Joe Davis. Um, you know, Joe Davis, uh, really from the moment he did game seven of the NLCS in the, uh, I guess it was a bubble back two years ago, you could tell that it was going to be inevitable where he was going to end up. Um, you know, he's uh, so similar to uh, Joe Buck in so many ways. It's a bit of a single white female thing almost, right? I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's the, you know, he's, he's very similar to Joe Buck. Uh, Wait a minute. Is he is he Bridget Fonda or is he Jennifer Jason Lee? I can't remember which one was which in that movie. Okay. Neither, neither can I. I, can't, I, have, I don't know which one was which. I think Jennifer Jason Lee would have been the villain. You got to give me five bonus points for coming up with those names off the top of yeah, my head. Yeah, you're right, because I would not have been able to. I might have gotten you Jennifer Jason Lee. I definitely wouldn't have gotten you Bridget Fonda. But, right. you know, uh, so he's very similar to Joe Buck. Um, he's uh, yeah, very, it was very interesting last night because there were, I will say he was very smooth, uh, except during those periods of time when he had to man the uh, public address. He sounded very nervous when he had to do the public address, when he had to do the stand up for the cancer thing. Um, so that, I, he didn't sound very smooth to me during that particular set of circumstances. But in general, you know, and that's understandable, right? Even though you're on national TV, you don't see the audience, but when you're on the public address, mm-hmm. You, they're they're all there and let me give you uh, one more factor too that probably made him nervous so he is physically sitting in the fox booth with a headset on to do the the broadcast of the game i don't know if they made him take that off for a different microphone for the pa in the booth or if they simply hit a couple of buttons and activated his mic to be on the pa but you also are concerned here we go with the echo 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 yeah. through the stadium For example, when Denzel Washington came out and did the very moving tribute to Jackie Robinson, I thought that was tremendous at the beginning of the of the game uh, with the tie to the Dodgers, the game at Dodger Stadium, etc. You could clearly see he had the earphones in. I saw them where he wasn't hearing the echo, 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 because it will mess you up, mess you Mm -hmm. up, mess you up when you're standing there. So I wonder I don't know that answer. I'm not making excuses for him, but that is definitely different where, hey, I'm being the broadcaster. Now, all of a sudden, we come back from a commercial and I'm being the PA guy and it's echoing everywhere. That's a challenge. I just thought I would submit that to you. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, you've heard, you know, people sometimes sound almost like they're slurring their words at times when when that happens. That wasn't the case with uh, Joe Davis, but he definitely didn't sound the same during that segment as he did uh, during the other portions of the game. He has great rapport with John Smoltz. People like to rip on John Smoltz because Smoltz is a bit of a curmudgeon when it comes to the modern game, but Smoltz is a great TV partner to have. Uh, he, and uh, so, Agreed. you know, that was the case even on Turner. Uh, so, uh, you know, Davis, uh, certainly uh, there were people on Twitter talking about how they missed Joe Buck. 
which is so rich. You know, they ripped Joe Buck to shreds for years. And now it's like, oh, you know, of course. Yeah, of course. Uh, but the reality is that Joe Davis is very good already, but he's not nearly as good as he will eventually be with uh, a few more years. I will say, you know, um, we do have this way of looking at in this particular industry, people in their mid thirties as being, you know, wonderkins, you know, uh, basically like Danny Almani or something. The reality of the matter is, you know, uh, you know, Joe Davis is 34 years old. Um, Joe Buck was Joe Buck had what called 10 or eight, you know, world series by that time, six, seven world series by the time he was 34. Uh, so Joe Davis, uh, you know, um, who in the interest, in the interest of full disclosure is a couple of years or a year older than I am. So I have a bit of a different perspective because mm -hmm. for me, you know, I don't look at Joe, uh, Joe Davis as being super young from that perspective. Uh, and I, I do think that sometimes, you know, we overstate how, because this is an industry where Iron Eagle, you know, at 50 years old, one of the most accomplished people in the industry hasn't gotten to break through yet. Right. Uh, so right. we kind of look at people breaking through in their thirties and go, oh my goodness, but that's actually not that atypical. Uh, and so Sean McDonough, 26, I think did the world series, uh, you know, just, well, maybe not 26, but mid, mid to late twenties, you know, that's, fairly common in the history. Uh, so uh, I'm not going to give him any bonus points for being, you know, a prodigy. Bob right? Costas, back to him, if you go back to the early 80s, was again in his late 20s, early 30s, yeah. and was working at least one of the championship series, Joe Gargiola and Tony Kubek. Man, am I old. John, Joe Gargiola and Tony Kubek is 40 years ago. They were the main broadcasters uh, for the World Series on NBC. Um, but then eventually it became Vin Scully and Gargiola and Costas and Kubek. A lot of times were doing like one of the championship series, either the American league or the national league when they would alternate. And he was in his late twenties or his early thirties, yeah. even though he wasn't doing the world series. That's just my point uh, on that one. And uh, yeah, so again, but you have extremes because you would have a, a Vin Scully, for example, doing the world series into his 80s or Pat Summerall doing the Super Bowl into his 70s it is yeah. it is an extreme too where you you have broadcasters that are very much older senior citizens even that are still mm -hmm. doing it and still calling the biggest games yeah I mean the reality of the matter is that there's an element of you know the Supreme Court with this uh, where <laughs> it's a lifetime appointment right uh, and uh, you know but there's a lot of there's a lot of quality talent further down the line in terms of age. It's just that once you get the job and you're really good at it, you keep it forever. You know, Ian Eagle is arguably, you could make a credible argument that Ian is the best NBA or NFL play-by-play -play voice working today. I'm not necessarily making that argument myself. I'm saying you could make a credible argument that, that that's the case. He probably will never get to do an NBA finals nationally or a Super Bowl nationally, you know, but that's, you know, that's just the way it works out because there's people ahead of him who That's are, right. you know, younger, well, not younger, but young, uh, hopefully in good health, hopefully avoid any kind of scandals. And then as long as the networks hold on to the rights, that's another factor too. Networks are holding on to rights for a lot longer. You know, that's correct. 20 years of the NBA and ABC. NBC only had it for 12 years. CBS, which had the NBA from the 70s all the way through to 1990, had it for 17 you know, networks are keeping rights for longer. So that was another way that people would get more opportunities. And so Joe Davis is very fortunate that Troy Aikman decided up, you know, to up and leave Fox for ESPN 
Joe Buck follows him and uh, then this opportunity opens up. But I, I do think that it may be rare for people of Joe Davis's age to get these opportunities now, but that's not because, you know, I mean, there's probably a 28 year old out there who, well, with some seasoning could probably step in as a number one voice and do it well. I mean, I, I would say that there's this, this isn't Taj Maori and smart guy. You know what I mean? Uh, so <laughs> you always bust these references and I just not along. I'll take yeah. your word for it on that one, too. Uh, with that, I was just thinking too. Al Michaels on the other extreme, too, is, is what now? Because you quoted this over and over again doing the Super 78. Bowl. 78, 78 years old. Yeah. And I agree with you. Still has the fastball. Still can he does call it the same way. But the younger ones breaking in, it's at the other end. When you when you contemplate right. that some of the announcers that are doing these big time games are forty and forty five years younger than some of the other ones that are doing at the at the highest end, that's quite uh, the wide range there uh, on the All Star game. All right, a couple more just real quick. Uh, again, we don't have the ratings in front of us at the time that we're releasing the podcast. Your educated speculation is the same as what it's been though. The number's going to be up because they're including out of home into it. And you're back into much more of a routine of the summer. So likely the numbers will be up at least in the recent few years of the all-star game. Right. I'm not sure. You know, I think, uh, I mean, even with the out of home, cause you keep pointing that out and right. all the stuff you do that when a network tells you there's 2 million more people watching, it's because they're measuring right. audience. They weren't measuring in yeah. 2019, 2018, 2017. Right. Yeah. But the difference is last year there was out of home and it was undercounted. So, you know, may, maybe compared to 2019, it'll be up, but it's going to be, you know, I, I don't know that, it, you know, it's also just a declining product. The all-star game as a general concept is in decline. You look at the NBA all-star game, which last year was under, under 6 million without, you know, undercounted. So probably over 6 million in reality. Uh, and then this year was a little bit higher, but still not that much higher right um you know and i just get the sense that the all-star game concept is difficult to justify in this particular era you might have to start doing altered formats like we see in summer league in the nba or the reality of the matter is why not just have a seven inning game for the all-star game you know it's not sacrosanct you're going, you're going full in with rob manfred on we're just going to switch it all up yeah. it is an exhibition after all. Right. And they had already made the decision to this point that they were not going to play extra innings. And I, like millions of others, was intrigued when we got to the ninth inning. Can the National League get a run? Because they're not going to play a tenth inning. They're going to have these two three-man teams of home run derby, three swings each, and whoever gets the most home runs is going to win the All-Star game. So there were a lot of people, a lot of people that were anxious to see if that was going to happen. My point is, though, that was by design. We're not playing extra innings like traditional baseball. So yeah. if you're already going down that road, maybe you should look into shortening it. Then the art part of the argument would be then less players play in the game. You can't get yeah. I mean, you're already cramming players to get them in as it is in a nine inning game to get them all in. Less players play if it's a seven inning game. Yeah. Well, we'll too see. bad, right? But I mean, well, you got you, you you look. I mean, it's just it's a lot to ask for people to stay up, you know, past eleven o'clock Eastern time for an exhibition. Uh, and you know, there's nothing wrong with getting creative. There's nothing wrong with doing something different. The NHL ultimately for their All Star Game, it's a complete bastardization of the sport, right? Agreed. It's you know not at all hockey, but that's fine because it's an exhibition, and who really cares? And you know, this and the also, NFL Pro yeah. Bowl has devolved into essentially two hand touch. 
It's yeah. it's not football. So and we saw with NASCAR, their all star race got a lot of criticism this year as well. You know, they should maybe have a foot race between the drivers. <laughs> is my idea. Yeah. You mean you mean are you even going to go there? You mean like the end of Ricky Bobby with he and. Oh, Sasha Baron Cohen's character. I can't remember. Jean, uh, I can't remember. Whatever. They end up having the foot race at the end of the movie. I'm not. I have not seen Ricky Bobby. Oh, it's just so over the top, stupid NASCAR humor. But it does end with wrecked cars and a foot race. I'll just go ahead and put that out there on uh, on how that goes. All right. So the all star game put to bed. And again, we have a little lull here before the baseball season starts back up. But there are other things going on. And again, we're coming uh, to George Offman in a few minutes here in the encore, but let's talk the, uh, the open championship with the British open played this weekend, won by Australia's cam Smith dramatically. If you follow golf, he made five consecutive birdies on the back nine. He unseated Rory McElroy, the Irish hero trying to win his second British open or open championship. McElroy looked like he was going to be the guy like a coronation. The fans were on his side, the roars from the crowd on hand at, at St. Andrews in Scotland, were on his side, and yet he could not make putts down the stretch. Cam Smith beat him. All right, so you wrote about this on the site, John Lewis. How did it translate for NBC and their platforms for the ratings with an Australian out-dueling uh, McElroy, not really a prominent American in the mix? How did it do? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, most watched since 2018. That's only two years because they didn't play three uh, in, in 20. But still, you know, up 16% from last year, up 27% from 2019. Second most watched since 2013. Now, there's caveats there, right? Uh, the reality of the matter is you're including the streaming audience that is particularly pronounced because these are on Peacock. Uh, previous British Opens prior to NBC acquiring the rights aired on ESPN, which does not break out. You know, they only use the Nielsen number. They're not adding in Adobe Analytics and all these other things. Uh, obviously the out-of-home factor as well. So, you know, there's some caveats there. Um, 4.55 million on NBC alone for the final round, and then 4.73 if you include Peacock. And that was the most watched since 2018. 2018, of course, was when Tiger was in the mix, took the lead briefly on Sunday. And uh, so, you know, look, the, the reality of the matter is those are good numbers, obviously, for golf. You know, think about it. Four point five five. Tiger, as we theorized yeah. last week, nowhere in the mix, did not yeah. make the cut for the weekend. And did I see in your article that you wrote on the site that the peak, like for the final 15 or 30 minute block, was around 7 million watching, yeah. which in the middle of the day on mm-hmm. Sunday is a significant audience, obviously. Yeah, it is. So, you know, you can't you can't quibble with any of that. Those are good numbers. Uh, I think if you're NBC, you're fine with it. I mean, what, what else is going to get that kind of number from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. on a Sunday? And that's a long period of time, too. That's one of the things about golf. You know, it's a huge time investment. Imagine over five hours, you're averaging 4.6 million viewers, right? And, of course, that doesn't include the two early hours, 7 to 9 a.m., but you're getting 1.6 million viewers, 7 to 9 a.m. on a Sunday. Well, what else is going to get that number? I mean, I don't really know what kind of numbers meet the press gets nowadays. I really, truly don't. Right. But, uh, you know, Chuck, I Chuck mean, Todd would kill for a million people at 7 a.m. I don't know what he gets. I don't know what he gets at 11, 10 or 11 a.m. whenever they run it. But, yeah, I, I agree. Chuck with Todd of Sports Business Journal. Right. Well, yeah, but it seems yeah. that way. Uh, no, no, he literally he was one of the, one of the original people of Sports Business he, Journal. He may Chuck have Todd. been and moved his and moved his way up. If you're, you're educating me on his biography. I know 
Uh, he's got a lot of critics, and that show has obviously not been the same since the late Tim Russert exactly. was there. Um, and they uh, had that David Gregory interlude that did not work out no, at all. No. So, but but still, I mean, they don't have that kind of audience for Sunday political or news talk. No in that place or their Sunday morning versions of the today show, which is obviously much more skewed to females, older females, where it doesn't get those kind of numbers uh, for those. So the golf for NBC was obviously scoring for them. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling current the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Kern because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. There is news coming out of this. I want your reaction, John Lewis, that that may have been the last that we hear of David Faraday, uh, who has been with NBC and the Golf Channel for over a decade. Previously was on CBS. He's been with uh, NBC and I believe the Golf Channel for at least 10 years doing his Faraday show on the Golf Channel and part of their coverage. It appears, not announced yet, that Faraday will become the lead analyst or at least one of the lead personalities on the Live Golf Tour broadcast coming up. Your quick reaction to that, because that's one of the bigger names in golf broadcasting there if he makes the jump. Well, you know, I mean, hey, look, uh, I mean, the Live Golf Tour story, uh, you know, this is one of those things, if you remember PTI, they would get really annoyed at certain stories as time went on, right? And and start just really, that's how I kind of feel, it brings out the Kornheiser in me when we talk about uh, the live golf tour. Uh, the reality of the matter is I'm not, I mean, it's tough to blame anyone for taking the money, obviously taking the money from the Saudis is a little bit more difficult to justify, but the fact of the matter is that my real question with this tour is, are people upset about the Saudi aspect or are people upset that the PGA tour is facing competition? Because if the issue is, oh, my goodness, how dare you compete with the PGA Tour? I don't really care about that. I don't think anybody should. I mean, you know, there's nothing sacrosanct about the PGA Tour. But if your issue is, wow, you're taking money from people who have a regime that has, you know, murdered journalists and does all these other things, I do think that is certainly notable. At the same time, I've said it before and I'll say it again, you know, China and all the money that uh, people have made off of China. Uh, the, the ways that we have, uh, as, an, as, as a country, incorporated Russia into the, mm -hmm. uh, the global community over the years when we should have been uh, ostracizing them. Uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff like that. But again, I think it's certainly justifiable to take issue with people 
making that kind of decision. Well, what is, let me bring it back yeah. to this. One of the things that you were critical of is likability. All right. Faraday mm -hmm. is one of the most liked personalities, period. Uh, in terms of fan engagement, et cetera, he's beloved. It will really help their credibility to have him there because he's got knowledge of the game. He is a former player. He's very self-deprecating. He's very funny. He's very likable. So I think that's an interesting one. And you know where I'm going next. The rumor is that Charles Barkley yep. is talking to the Live Golf Tour. Now, confess to me on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. I'm not going to taint you with my answer. What was your first reaction when you heard that, and then I'll share mine. When you first heard Charles Barkley to the Live Golf Tour as a broadcaster, what was your first reaction, John Lewis? Well, I mean, I haven't been taking it seriously as a possibility because Charles has said a lot of stuff over the years. Charles is going to be the governor of Alabama, you know, <laughs> uh, and Charles has been saying he's going to retire for a decade. You know, I look, I mean, money is money. I'm not I, I, it's not my job to get into other people's wallets and tell them what to do. Um, to me, you know, it is a very interesting issue here. Charles clearly, in my view, has been over the NBA for a while, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone forgets, we talked about Joe Davis being 34. Charles was what, 36 when he joined TNT, right? Something, something along those lines. He was really young. I think he must've been younger then than LeBron is now. Right. Uh, and so he came into the NBA fresh from the league and knew all the players, played against them, had relationships with them, friendships and, you know, with Scottie Pippen and other players, maybe not quite so friendly, but Charles was very integrated to the league at that point, generationally as well. This was the Gen X NBA, right? You know, this was an NBA that for Charles and was much more relatable. And then, you know, as time goes on, Charles, uh, Charles gets older and the players stay the same age, right? But what happens is the players become representatives of generations that Charles can't identify with anymore. And they play a different kind of game that Charles doesn't like or identify with. And, it, you know, and I think Charles genuinely loves EJ and Kenny and Shaq. Mm -hmm. And that is the reason why he's there because he loves them and the crew and being there around them. And even it's just, it's to me, and I don't know anything about anybody, right. You know, I'm, I, I don't want to psychoanalyze anybody, but I get the sense that for Charles, the work of actually having to watch these games that he's not interested in and stay in studio until one 30 in the morning <laughs> is a sacrifice that he makes to be around the best friends of his entire life. Okay. Great points that you're making there. I'll give my reaction here. I know enough about this. I'm not saying with 100% certainty, but this is what it's smacked of to me. He is negotiating whatever his next deal, if not final deal, is going to be with Turner. And this is one of the leverage options now to get whatever it is that he wants. I don't believe that he is going to walk away from broadcasting basketball with Turner to only go do live golf yeah. stuff. I did not believe – I said – immediately that is negotiation against Turner and maybe John it is to cut back on some of the workload yeah like you're talking about and so if you don't want to agree with me on cutting back my workload I'll flirt with these guys where I only work a few times and I maybe make three four five times the money from the live golf tour to ridiculously be part of golf broadcasts when yeah. he's not much of a golfer I ju well, it just back to me of negotiating yeah. ploy I don't think it's legit I don't think right. he seriously wants to go do that instead of the NBA. My thought on that. Yeah, remember they wanted him on Monday Night Football. 
you know, back when they were really flailing around desperate. Remember they auditioned Rush Limbaugh for Monday Night Football mm -hmm. before they gave him an NFL countdown? You know, uh, so we know that Charles is people have wanted Charles for non-basketball programs before. Um, I, I, I don't know if it's leverage, but I do know there's no doubt in my mind. Every year, Charles Barkley says, you know, other than the Olympics, uh, the NCAA tournament is my favorite <laughs> event. And he says that every year. You did right? pretty well with that impression. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, but I don't think Charles enjoys doing the tournament. Okay. I, and, I mean, I don't and, I, think... and you know what? He's done it for almost, what, eight or nine years now. And yeah. maybe that's part no, of No, more this. than that. Well, more 2013 or 14. No, 11, 2011. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, decade. Years. so maybe that's part of this. Just speculating that. I don't want to do that for those three weekends anymore. And so one of the ways that I can get what I want is the leverage that I could be somewhere else like this. And maybe I don't have to do that anymore. Let's just stay tuned. We'll find out the yeah. answer soon enough, but I'm not going to, as I jokingly say, I'm not going to bet one of the twins, my 14 year old twin girls. I'm not betting one of the twins that it won't happen. I'm, right. just, I'm just saying that I would be stunned if this is anything other than negotiating to get whatever better deal from Turner and maybe it's a cutback. And time will tell on, on what he decides to do or not do. Hey, two other quick notes. And I know, I, I know it's, you're not a golf guy, and I am. Uh, but this live golf thing is not going away, and it's going to be even crazier in a week and a half when they show up at Bedminster Country Club, which belongs to the former president, Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. And he's going to use it essentially as a campaign opportunity mm -hmm. and rally with the golfers there. The European Ryder Cup, a committee, by the way, has booted Henrik Stinson, who is a former multi-time winner on the European Tour and the PGA Tour. He's a former Open champion. He had been named the Ryder Cup captain for the event in Italy, not this year, but next year. They've stripped that away from him because Stinson's going to go to the to the, the Live Golf Tour. And they cited the fact that he agreed in writing, and they did this on purpose, he agreed in writing to not go join any other competing anything entity to remain the captain. And so they're taking that away from him. So the rhetoric continues, the, the chess moves, the political moves, and then the suspension and the, and the other moves. Um, and I think it's only going to heighten the interest. I think the interest is going to continue to grow in this and we will see. So, because we're now in the time frame where the only thing remaining for August and early September is the end of the PGA Tour season with their playoffs. And yeah. you can argue that these live golf tour events will be every bit as big as that when they're playing in New Jersey or Boston or in Chicago, the three live events that they have remaining in this country for this year until the final event, which is in October back at Doral. So they're going to play three in the U.S., play in Singapore, don't laugh, play in Saudi Arabia, and then come back and finish at Trump's Doral Country Club in South Florida, about four mm -hmm. hours from where I'm seated here in, in South Florida. And that's that's the one that's going to have the $65 million purse mm. where the first place two-man team gets $16 million for winning as the two-man team. Second place gets $8 million. That's John Lewis-type money. Gets uh, $8 million to share. Uh, well, on that wow. so we'll watch what happens with the live golf and these announcements but the news still continues i just don't buy the barkley part i don't buy that yeah you know yeah i i i tend to believe that uh ultimately charles will probably stay at the at the very worst i think he would just balance it out with his turner duties uh you know this gets to the question of you know can you just buy what you want 
right? Can you just decide, I want a golf league and I want the best players and I want Faraday and Barkley. So I'm going to back up the drinks truck and get it, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and uh, I mean, it's a fascinating thing. We talked about it with the WNBA before and the fact that the Russians are backing up the drinks truck, obviously at a much smaller level for these players. And ultimately that resulted in WNBA players playing for ridiculous Russian teams that nobody cares about. And in the case of Brittany Griner, getting themselves into a horrendous situation, you know, and I mean, I guess uh, I can't sit down in judgment of people who take the money, you know, but it is kind of like working with, you know, the mob almost. Right. it's like, you know, yeah. It well, we works. need to clarify. I, 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 we've gone along a couple of times uh, on this podcast and we need to clarify one thing that I think that's important because Greg Norman actually brought this up and it needs to be articulated because it balances both sides. So the PGA tour does business with not, and I think I may have said this on the podcast, but I'll just repeat it here real quick. They do business with not just a couple of sponsors and corporate sponsors we're talking about in and around their tournaments and their advertising. They do business with 23 different companies that have ties to Saudi Arabia and or Saudi Arabian money. So when Norman blasts back accurately that you're you're talking about blood money of the live golf tour, look at the hundreds of millions of dollars for the PGA tour that's coming from the same place. Yeah. They don't want you to know that. They don't publicize it, but it is coming from the same place. You mentioned the NBA in China. You yeah. mentioned you mentioned all of the sponsors that sponsor everything, not just uh, in this case, golf, but the NBA, the NFL, and a lot of them have ties to Saudi Arabia or China or Russia or whatever that they do business with. It, it does seem a bit unfair to only characterize the live golf tour as the only ones doing business with them. I'm not saying that you right. don't have a right to object, yeah. but we should point that out because he accurately blasted back and listed and named names. Here's the 23 companies that yeah. they do business with that have ties as well. So that's all, that's all part of this. And it's not going away, John, it's not going to go away this summer when they have, when they have these events in the United States. I mean, it is kind of odd to the whole relationship with the Saudis generally. Right. I mean, it's always been weirdly friendly at the highest levels. Right. You know, people were so upset with Obama for bowing many years ago. It's one of the 500 million fake controversies that were drummed up like a tan suit. But, you know, it is kind of interesting, right? You know, this whole very deferential relationship with the Saudis that this nation has had even 21 years after 9-11, from the Bush administration through Obama, through Biden. It's um, interesting. You know, so it's, it's much more complicated than you know, what, you know, oh, the PGA tour is taking blood money. Well, yeah, I mean, excuse me, the LIV tour or these golfers are taking blood money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. First of all, as you mentioned, pretty much everybody takes, you know, there's no clean money anywhere, you know, that's uh, correct. No at least, at least in the corporate world worldwide, it's all intertwined and, and tied in. Uh, yeah. It's tough. It's tough on that. Hey, and I thought of uh, um, one other point on this, that uh, football is going to probably eradicate a lot of this anyway, and that is coming. So that's going to be the the bigger part uh, of what's happening once we get to mid-August. That's why the PGA Tour decided a couple of years ago, we've got to be done. Before Labor Day weekend, we've got to be done with our playoffs and our season just because of what football does. But this gives us something to talk about here on the uh, on the show 
with football looming. All right, one more thing, and then I promise we're getting to George and we're getting to the Encore Week. Upcoming next week of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, you at mid-year here have put out the top-rated sports programs and given some analysis on this. Elaborate on what you put on the site here on where we are benchmark 2022 mid-year. Well, it's the, uh, the usual mid-year list. Uh, obviously, this year is a little bit different because there were so many more NFL games, right? So normally at mid-year, you might have in some years, week 17, if it goes into you know New Year's Day and, and after that, and then the playoffs. But this year, you had week 17 and week 18 and the expanded wildcard round. And so as a result, the NFL, even with its season having not yet started, already accounts for half. 25 of the 50 most watched sporting <laughs> events this year, right? I mean, that's, again, we haven't even reached the start of their real season yet. So uh, that tells you a lot. Uh, the top 14 most watched games were NFL games, right? Uh, and then the CFP national championship at 15, and then the Super Bowl lead out for the Olympics at 16, and then more NFL games. So really the top 22 were either football games or the Super Bowl lead out for the Olympics, then you get to in number 23, the men's final four, UNC and Duke, uh, the Kansas UNC national title game right behind it at 24. Uh, then more NFL, more college football, the Kentucky Derby, then more NFL. Then at number 30, you get down to the NBA. Uh, and uh, also on the list at number 50, just sneaking in the Masters at just over uh, 10 million. So, you know, basically football continues to dominate, right? Uh, and because there's more inventory, it dominates even more than it used to. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm sure the NFL, remember, they wanted to, they wanted an 18 game season, not a 17 game season. I'm quite sure they'll get to that week 19 at some point. Um, you know, so if far, that's the, if that's the case, though, they got to start earlier. They're going to have to st back the schedule up and start earlier. And the NFL used to play Labor Day weekend yep. back and in they, the back, back forever, back in the 90s, as recently as the 90s, they were playing Labor Day weekend. But going back 80s, 70s, they were always playing Labor Day weekend to start earlier because on their clock, the Super Bowl was ending, especially 70s, 80s. The Super Bowl was played like the second and third week in January, never in February. Um, so you got to start earlier if you're doing that, if that's the case. We'll see what the NFL does. Already college football has backed up with what they call week zero, where yeah. they will have numerous games like the third week in August before the Labor Day weekend. Can't get enough. Can't get enough of the football and running no. the ads and what happens with that. That's amazing. It's how many out of the top 50 that are football? 25. How many, uh, how many of them football are football generally? total? Yes, out of the top 27. 50. 27 of the top 50 yeah. are football And that's was before the fall. That's before, that's before mm. the fall season begins. So good to know there on the numbers. Much more on the way, but now a special guest. And yes, here he is to give me more on this Encore Week that we have been talking about. Hello again, Mr. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. George Offman back aboard as part of the Sports Media Watch podcast. Uh, let me say, because I've not had a chance uh, to say this uh, recently to you publicly in one of these kind of set, uh, settings and situations, continued great work. I love uh, hearing these different stories and learning things. Uh, from different people that you have on, um, and and it just it has continued through your latest season. I always come away with man, there's there's something I didn't know right away. Hence the name of the show. So keep up the good work with that, and good to have you back aboard. It's funny too because I did a TV roundtable show on Sunday, and one of the guests was Wayne Randazzo, who's 
podcast was running when he was there. He's and he still, you know, he still has a residence here in Chicago. He lives in Chicago in the off season. Right. So that was really something. It was a, it was a lot of fun. And yeah, that's part of it. I mean, I learned th- the whole idea is you learn stuff you didn't know from these people. And that's the best part of it. So uh, just for a couple of examples, because we're going to talk about George's encore a couple of different times where we've got a roll call. So this at the time that we're releasing this podcast, midweek, mid-July, next week, which is in this case the a week of uh, July 25th, next week belongs to George on this podcast feed with his encore week that will include Bob Costas, Sarah Kustak, Mike Greenberg of ESPN, obviously, Eddie Olchick. Uh, and Mike Wilbon, also of ESPN, little ESPN theme, but Costas, obviously legendary broadcaster. Sarah Kustak, the first woman to ever uh, be on an NBA uh, broadcast with the Brooklyn Nets. Mike Greenberg of ESPN, Eddie Olchick with the hockey for so many years with NBC and now with Turner. And then Mike Wilbon, pardon the interruption, and a longtime newspaper writer before that. And then in all of these cases, they have some connection to Chicago uh, as well. But so again, lots on the Encore Week. But again, just to the point, I'm listening when you had Kevin Harlan on earlier in this season <laughs> yeah. and right away, he says to you, I wanted to be an airline pilot. Yeah. He almost yeah, was yeah. never going to be the broadcaster that we know. He instead would have been doing announcements like, ladies and gentlemen, we're at 30,000 feet. All <laughs> oh, the humanity of those Rocky mountains <laughs> off the right side of the plane. That's what we would have had from well, Kevin Harlan. I did not know I, that until your podcast. I did not know that as well. Uh, First of all, he's a great guy. I, yes. I am so lucky to have known him for fun. I, mean, I worked with him when he was 19 years old. He was that young, still in college, and doing the first ever pre and post game show on for an NFL team, the Kansas City Chiefs, still in college. Looked at a black book, saw my name, says, I'd like this guy to be my stringer in Chicago. The relationship began, and I've been talking to him ever since. And on top of that, He's absolutely a spectacular play-by-play. He's yes. one of the few guys that you tune into the game, not just because of the game, but because he's doing the game. I would agree with that. I mean, he yep. he makes it feel like it's a big event, even if it's oh, like yeah. a regular season Phoenix Suns-Denver Nuggets game, or if it's an NFL uh, Sunday with the, I don't know, Steelers taking on the Cincinnati Bengals, you, you still feel like th- this is a playoff game. This is a big-time thing, so compliment to him. And by the way, another tease for the encore, uh, Mike Greenberg, for all of the notoriety on ESPN the last two-plus decades, began his broadcasting career, tell me a story I didn't know, with the man we're talking to, George Offman. He shares on the podcast, I won't reveal it, that his first experience in radio is with you. How am I doing, babe, on the tease? They need to hear the encore of his first time in radio, and the guy that we got on right now, George Offman, was part of it. They need to listen to the encore. Well, we were also um, the last official on-air hires with the score radio. Uh, it was on my birthday, December 28th of 1991. And we went on the air five days later, 30 years ago, it was me and Greeny. Um, the only difference between us now are the zeros after our paychecks. He has many more than I do. Well, you say that, but I, I'm also <laughs> follically challenged like you. He has a lot more hair than both of us too. Yeah. Still, at this point. Yeah, That's another difference true. on that. Yeah. Uh, great, great stuff with Greenberg. All right. Uh, so again, on the, the on course before I move on, because George actually is in the middle of a couple of different things, as he made mention to the scores 30th anniversary is this year. And he's about to attend an event, 
with some of the iconic Chicago sports radio figures literally of the last four decades, the 90s, the 2000s, the 2010s, and now into the 2020s. So I want him to tell us a little more about that uh, in a bit. And you also have news about Eddie Olchek, who's part of the uh, of the encore. He was one of your first in that first season uh, that we're bringing back on these encores and tells phenomenal stories, including I'll just set it up. You don't have to share all of it being traded in a in a ridiculous location to find out where you got traded. How am I doing on that tease? It's not only that it was during the delivery of his second child. <laughs> He was traded. He was called out of the delivery room to be told he was traded to Winnipeg from Toronto. It's and he tells it in hysterical fashion. Uh, Eddie is an icon here. Uh, He is no longer with the Blackhawks. They could not come to a contractual agreement. His contract ran out. I think most of us here in Chicago knew that along with Pat Foley, they would not be back together again. And in this case, he signed a five-year deal with the Seattle Kraken, uh, where his brother is the assistant general manager. His son also works in the organization. So, and it's, it's you know, I, I asked him today, are you going to move to Seattle? And he said, no, but it's going to be quite a trip to be working out there. Plus, of course, he's doing the NHL on TNT. So um, Eddie is a wonderful person. He wears his emotions on his sleeve. Uh, I had a chance to talk to him this morning and uh, listen, it's the end of an era, and it's the end of the Chicago Blackhawks. They have made almost a complete makeover. The only thing that's missing now is trading Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves, wow. and this is probably going to happen either in this offseason or at the trading deadline because their contracts are up at the end of the year, end of the season. And and how would you, just while we're on that subject, would you characterize Eddie as torn because he is so synonymous with doing those Blackhawk games for so many years? We all know him and see him nationally. But he, he would easily work, am I correct, 30 Blackhawk games probably on TV, maybe more, maybe 40, 50, maybe not no, that he many. Would, he, would, he, he did the bulk of them. Um, oh, he, no, he's crestfallen. He's, he's heartbroken. Remember, this is a guy who broke in with the Blackhawks. He was on the U.S. Olympic team in 1984. He was their first-round draft pick. And when he came here in 1984, it wasn't long after that. I turned to some media members. I said, one day, this guy is going to take our jobs. And I was, hey, well, he didn't were, take our hey, jobs. I was right. He was going to be in the right. media. You could just tell he loved to talk a lot. So, but I mean, he wanted to be in management. He actually wanted to be the general manager of the Blackhawks. That didn't happen. They asked him if he would help pick the new general manager. And then see you later. How about that? Welcome to pro sports <laughs> yep. on that. Another story off of George's podcast as we rock along here on the sports media watch is when Kenny Albert, who you had on recently, who is his broadcast partner, and Kenny was only paired with Eddie Olchek last two seasons ago at NBC, the final year of hockey on NBC after the retirement of Mike Emmerich. They paired Kenny Albert with Eddie Olchek. Now uh, Kenny Albert and and Ed Olchek are the lead team on Turner. They will call the Stanley Cup Finals next year. And again, uh, top-notch doesn't do it justice when – Kenny Albert pulls out the story that he first met Olchik in that 84 Olympic year because he had written to him as a fan for an autograph yes. and yeah. Olchik wrote him back and autographed a, an Olympic team photo that Kenny Albert still has. 
And 38 years later, they're doing the Stanley Cup finals on NBC and the hockey on Turner. That's an amazing story that, again, I found. That's, These are the kind of things you find on George's podcast. That's another story I have no idea. I'm sitting there doing the interview, and I'm going to myself, <laughs> really? Seriously? That really happened? And it really did happen. And he so, still yes. has the photo. That's tremendous. Why He's a wouldn't collector. you have yes. the photo? Why not? Tremendous uh, on that. Okay. Uh, Bob Costas talking about everything from OJ Simpson to major league baseball and big time moments and in and around the biggest events, the Olympics, the world series, all the things uh, that he's done. Uh, He's another one too. It's not so much the booming voice and the call of the game, but I, I almost, I almost pay attention uh, as if, the maestro at the concert, even though I'm not a big orchestra guy. I mean, yep. this, this guy is a, a command actor in a big performance. Jack Nicholson, for example, and a few good men. You just had to sit up and pay attention. Whenever Costa starts talking about whatever it is, I get the feeling this, as some have joked uh, in the past as a metaphor, he could read the yellow pages and I would be interested. Of course, the kids have the, no idea what the yellow pages are, but go ahead. It's still great to, to bring that interview back with Bob. He is the preeminent sports broadcast journalist of our era, period. And when I era, I'm talking of the last 40 years. What I didn't remember was that he actually called 19 Chicago Bulls games in 1979 and 80. They were all road games. This was right before he was hired by NBC. This was a 27-year-old broadcaster with not a single hair out of place wearing a gold jacket. We had a lot of fun with that. he, he's you're right absolutely right first of all he's extremely intelligent great integrity uh he can talk about just about anything and you, you know understand he's done so many different variety shows uh but he is absolutely one of the best ever in the history of our game uh, of our sport uh, world and you know the stories that he tells from marv albert working with him to the bronco chase to the sandberg game you name it. He was. And, you know, four of these five interviews that we're doing uh, and bringing back next week were all done before we launched the podcast, which was January of 2021. They were all done in October or November of the previous year because we had to start stockpiling them. Right. And to be honest with you, as I listened back to them, you know, they're pretty good. Those guys are really great. All of them, Sarah, all of them. Still very relevant very yes. true. And two more connections to Chicago, which I know you love, that the first year that NBC got the NBA, 1991, is Michael Jordan and the Bulls beating Magic and the Lakers. I mean, what a series to obviously get. Bob Costas on the studio coverage with Marv Albert and the czar of the Telestrator with Mike Fratello uh, on the call. And then bookend it with Michael's final championship, his final shot as a Chicago Bull at the then Delta Center in Salt Lake City. Who's on the call, George Offman? Bob Costas to bring There's it the back reason, to Chicago. There's a reason, of course, for, for those people who don't remember, that's the year that NBC fired Marv Albert right. for rather tawdry behavior. And if this was the same era where you had social media, Marv never would have been hired back but he was a year later and that's how bob wound up doing the essence of the last dance that's actually when he called it before it was given its title for uh, espn in the 10-part series the last dance and yeah it's it's an iconic listen it's an iconic call and it's an iconic moment in the history of the game 
And again, Sarah Kustak grew up in the Chicago area as a basketball player, rising yep. up the broadcast ranks very quickly. You'll hear her story. Uh, you'll hear Mike Wilbon with you as well on the on the encore. Again, I want them to listen. Wilbon talks about his roots as a Chicago sports fan at Comiskey Park as like an elementary school kid. And that that's where he began to dream about doing something in sports for a living. I learned it again from George's podcast. I love, I, don't know. I love, I love Michael. He's a, he's a born and bred Chicago. And if anybody ever sees his tweets, he's always tweeting and mostly negative about the bears or the Blackhawks. <laughs> he's like, he's a Cubs fan born on the South side of Chicago. Uh, and he still bleeds Chicago blood. There's no two ways about it. And we kicked off the podcast with him and he was a spectacular interview. I just have such great respect for all these people. We, we, you know, Sarah Kustak, who I knew here, not so much as a basketball player, but when she got into the media and she's gotten what she's deserved and then some, she has done a spectacular job for the, the Yes Network now being the first ever female analyst for an NBA team. Um, and her star continues to rise. So all of these people from Greeny and Wilbon and Bob Costas and Eddie Olchek and Sarah were, were wonderful podcasts. And I'm so glad that we're bringing them back. And let's be honest. OK, let's bring this out to the open. The guy who came up with the idea happens to be the guy who's interviewing right now. TJ was just, you know, why don't we do an encore week? And I said, OK, let's do that. And yes. we will. And we thank John Lewis as well for the help here with Sports Media Watch and helping publicize it and the podcast feed that we're on because these are too good. It's kind of like John and I have been joking in recent episodes, George Offman. It's that old NBC slogan when they would run the reruns of all those great shows in the summer. If you haven't seen it, it's new for you or it's new to you. It's the same thing. If you haven't heard it, it's new to you. And we right. have a feeling there is a segment out there that have not heard some of these. You're going to enjoy them starting next week as we release this podcast. You'll hear five consecutive days of encores. Bob Costas, Sarah Kustak, Mike Greenberg, Ed Olchek, and Mike Wilbon five days in a row on this Sports Media Watch uh, podcast feed. You don't have to do anything. You'll get a notification on every one of those uh, as you're right here with us if you're following and you're subscribing. Before we are done, young man, you still are a young man, 30 years of the score in Chicago, the all-sports radio station, uh, a, a radio station that obviously uh, has been impactful for uh, so many sports fans for a generation, basically, and then some. What is it, I just have to ask you, what is it like to reminisce on how that began and the empire that it created in terms of opinion and interest for sports fans in Chicago? Well, it began on January 2nd of 1992 and uh, on uh well, tomorrow, and whatever that is tomorrow, if this is airing today, uh, this would be Wednesday, right. July, what is it, 20th? Or yeah, I forgot the 20th, the correct. Yeah. So they're going to have a, a, a special event at a, a bar that, that they've been doing remotes from now for, I think, the last 25 years. And I was invited to come on tomorrow morning. So I'll make the nice long drive to this bar and to be with uh, the two morning hosts but it was a stepping stone for a lot of people in the industry. And I can name drop a few of them. Jesse Rogers. Yep. Jesse Rogers, now one of the lead baseball reporters for ESPN, was a producer there. Was also my co-host on a baseball show that we started called Hit Run back in, I don't know when it was, 2005. Uh, Judd Surratt was a producer. The voice now of the Boston Bruins. 
So it has been a stepping stone for a great deal of people and some who began there and are now host on the show 20, 24 years later. So it'll be fun. Um, it's, it's a day, you know, it's a bygone day uh, of kind of thinking back to what 30 years ago was like. We didn't have the internet. I don't think we had the internet net That's yet. Correct. We, That's correct. We, it was just, just coming in there. We did not have, well, cell phones were there. I remember the very not, first. Not very I mean, much, though. No, mainly in the car. The, mainly in we the had car. The, no, we had the brick phone. I remember yeah. as soon as I started, within a, a month, they're sending me to spring training for the first time. So I'm going to Mesa. And then the White Sox were training in Sarasota. And I've got this gigantic brick phone. <laughs> okay. I mean, it looks bigger than me. And I'm handing it to some of the players and already some players are turning us down because they don't like what's being told about them. And as you can imagine, but I got to travel. I mean, that same year I'm in Pittsburgh with the Blackhawks in the Stanley cup final. Right. Right. Uh, I'm with, you know, I'm with the bulls during their first parade, which was spectacular. So, you know, and then eventually I'm covering the World Series in 2005 and the White Sox won. So it was, a, it was a great deal of fun. That is a fantastic thing that you get to be part of with the anniversary. I love it for you. And now I'm going to tell you something you do not know. And I'm just sharing it with the Sports Media Watch. No, hold on a uh, second, TJ. Audience. I know it. I know everything. Go well, ahead. Watch this. All right. <laughs> you were part of the score, which was one of maybe the first seven or eight all sports radio stations that came into existence before your station came into existence, the old WFNS. We are the fans nine ten AM in Tampa, Florida mm. came on the air in the summer of 1990 as the first all sports station in the state of Florida. And the guy you're talking to interned at that station after being a listener the following year in between my junior and senior year of college. And right about the same time in 1992 that George Offen was being hired by the score in Chicago, I was being hired on a part-time basis by WFNS Sports Radio 910 in Tampa, Florida, the first sports radio station in Florida. And I became a five-day-a-week host on that station, and some would say regrettably, because I haven't shut up since then. So you and I are a lot alike, because 1992, the score started. In 1992, I started in sports radio on the old WFNS, which only lasted about five years before it went bye-bye. A lot of these stations that came on in the early 90s, uh, as sports radio stations in major markets, they didn't last. So bravo, because the score is still there. Kicking, screaming, uh, bloviating, giving out opinions, clobbering you, coaches in bad Chicago teams are doing it 30 years later, George Hoffman. I'll give you another person who was a producer at the Score Radio who now runs a radio station, a sports radio station in your city, Rock Mamola. Yes, John Mamola. John Mamola, Rock, we call him Rock Mamola. Very successful. Good for him. A very popular guy when he was and, here. And, and, and said at an early age, I'm going to see whether or not I can make it on my own turf. And he did. Good and he for did. him. And, and he's uh, always said, and rightfully so, I never knew what I was missing when being able to wear shirt and shorts in December and January till he yeah. got to Tampa Bay and has been here for, uh, what, a better part of a decade. At least. The all-sports station down here. Uh, uh, yes, so a big shout-out there. Listen, this is always a treat. One more time, let's plug the Encore week coming as we release this podcast of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. Give me the batting lineup, please, uh, for what you have coming 
as we release the five Encore episodes? So it begins on Monday with Bob Costas, followed by Sarah Kustak, uh, Greeny, Mike Greenberg, Eddie Olchek, and then we end it with the guy who first started it, Michael Wilbon. And just a reminder, because we are we have a live one going right now with Bob Nightingale, the very well-known yes. uh, baseball writer for USA Today, whose son, by the way, Bobby, is the beat writer for the Cincinnati Reds. So it's all in the family, and Bob's got a lot of great stories. Yeah, so right now we're at the All-Star break time, and it's great to catch up and, and hear Bob Nightingale's stories for covering the game, what, the better part of 30 years on the national level as a beat writer and now as a yes. national guy with USA Today. You hear him all over the place on how the game has changed, how some things are still the same. Love that. And and then we're going to hear from when football season gets, gets here, folks, shall we tease them, George Offman, that names like Greg Gumbel of CBS, like Greg Ron Gumbel. Rivera, the, the Washington Commanders coach. Do I smell that in a fall football upcoming season? Of Not only is Ron Rivera going to be on, he'll be on two days before his team is at Soldier Field playing the Chicago Bears. Uh, coming up in the month of July, and I believe the end of July and early August, we're going to have Wayne Larravee, who mm. for many years was the voice of the Bears, and now for the last number of years, the voice of their rivals, the Green Bay Packers, and the always energetic and entertaining Pat Fitzgerald, the head coach of the Northwestern Wildcats, whom a lot of people thought was going to wind up being the head coach of the Chicago Bears, but he's staying in Northwestern for a little, little longer. He wants to coach his son there. This man has got quite the arsenal of interviews upcoming. Encore week is next week for Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. George Hoffman, thank you. We, we look forward to Encore week and all of the fresh episodes of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. Thank you for hanging here on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast, sir. TJ, thank you very much. You're very much a part of all of what we're doing, and I really appreciate it. Again, we're looking forward to the Encore Week, John Lewis, as we call you back in here. Great stories from the likes of Bob Costas talking about the O.J. Simpson uh, Bronco chase and that whole surreal night where he's doing the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden while all of that was unfolding and they're live on TV. Uh, Sarah Kustak, again, we did not elaborate with George, has risen through the ranks as a female broadcaster, the first one ever on an NBA broadcast, as he was mentioning as the analyst. But Sarah had a horrific as horrific a personal situation as you could have where he, where her father murdered her mother. This is well known in the, in the Chicago media. She doesn't talk a lot about it on that encore podcast, but she does talk about how that obviously impacted her tragically, but how she keeps her mother's spirit alive. And the horror of all of this is that the father is involved. Again, she doesn't elaborate, but I'm just teasing, John. She talks about that, something that she's rarely talked about uh, in public with that horrible situation. And as I teased with John, uh, or with George, John, Mike Greenberg on the Wednesday of next week for the Encore, his first job in the media was with George Offman in Chicago at the Score radio station. You've got to hear that story. Eddie Olchick on Thursday, and then Mike Wilbon is both of ours, a, a great favorite. You want to hear that Mike Wilbon tell me a story I don't know about growing up as a Chicago sports fan, dreaming about maybe being a sports writer or broadcaster and how he's ascended to where he is. I know we're anxious to hear all of those encores as part of this, and that's quite a lineup he's got. Yep. Well, you know, Wilbon, I've said before, you know, I've got a complicated uh, 
view of Wilbon. You know, I have admiration for everything he's accomplished, but you know, yeah, I also remember what he said about Sean Taylor. So that's kind of tough, you know, but um, you know, PTI is such a great show. It, it kind of reminds me, uh, I don't know who it was. I guess it was Ryan Glassfield the other day was talking about what's going to happen when PTI ends. And people were like, well, you know, they could go with Frank Isola and Will Bond. They can go with Mina Kimes and Frank Isola, you know, way back, back when High Noon was on 500 million years ago, they were talking about Pablo, Tori and Bomani Jones. The reality of the matter is once Kornheiser and or Will Bond decides to call it quits, I don't think that show can continue. Correct. Uh, They're the show. uh, That's the show. Correct. Hey, speaking of love, let's get to it real quick. Love it or leave it. All right, I'm going to hit you with a couple of them rapid fire. Uh, Major League Baseball all-star uniforms. Did you love it the other night or do you want to leave it with the two different uh, uniform colors, not using the team's home and road uniforms? Did you love that or do you want to leave that with what they did? Here's a controversial opinion, and I'm not quite even sure that I believe it, but I think that last night is the best the Yankees and Cardinals have ever looked in their entire history. So how about that? <laughs> That's how blasphemy about that to for, some, right, right? Yes, it is blasphemy. I'm not sure I actually believe that. But when I was watching the game, I just felt like it looked real. First of all, I thought the Cardinals uniform, the birds on the bat, and the gold really worked very well. And I thought the Yankees uniform looked pretty good, too. You know, the Yankees wear very plain uniforms. I thought that they look good. At the same time, I am opposed to what Nike does to uniforms. I think they have terrible instincts. We see that with the Cavaliers new uniforms in the NBA and the Utah Jazz new uniforms, which are terrible. Uh, And, you know, Nike uh, has demolished the NBA's brand identity over the years with all sorts of ridiculous uniform ideas that make no sense. Adidas had horrible ideas too. You know, the Cavaliers winning a title in sleeved uniforms, my goodness. But uh, Nike just has so many different uniforms. There's no brand consistency consistency anymore in the NBA. I like uh, the all-star game though, with letting them wear their own, yes. the baseball all-star game with letting them wear their own road uniforms with the different colors. I love those. Maybe I'm just nostalgic for the 70s and the 80s when they had it. And in fairness, for the NHL All-Star Game, the NBA All-Star Game, for the Pro Bowl, they're not wearing the road and home home white and the, and the road uniforms for all those. The NBA would kind of vary back and forth, yeah. but for the most part, they, they have gone with a color scheme that is not the team's road uniforms or whatever. But I just wondered what you thought. I thought it was fine. I didn't go over the top with, oh, it's the greatest thing or no, it's it's the worst <laughs> thing ever. And I did like the lettering, the different logos and the lettering yeah. from your team being on those uniforms. That was a nice touch with that and the, and the same with the hat. And they want to sell merchandise, by the way. That's another yeah, big part of what this is. There's tens of millions of dollars of selling Aaron Judge, uh, Shohei Otani, and you yeah. know Clayton Kershaw and pick one of any of the stars of any of these teams of selling that all-star jersey or the all-star Yankee, Dodger, Cub, Braves, Ronald Acuna jersey or hat that is in the all-star uh, colors and color scheme. Yeah. Merchandising is well, part of that. You know, it's all about the money, which makes it rich to be upset about the LIV, you know? I mean, it's all about, I mean, I understand if you're upset because of the Saudi aspect, especially if you, you know, were affected by 9-11, by the way, bring up uh, that. How about the insanity in the Fox truck to superimpose the Yankee and Red Sox logos over the reflecting pools where the World Trade Center towers once stood? I cannot believe that that made it to the air. 
But um, you know, I, if you're if that's your perspective for objecting to the LIV, I get it. But if you're just upset that people are taking the money, all this is about is money. You know, we we have this beautiful fantasy that it's about the love of the game, but of course it's not. You know, this is a job. Okay, let's get to another one. Love it or leave it. Media days ongoing in college football. The SEC started this. Other conferences now follow suit. Do you get into this in the least? It is on the different televised networks. Love it or leave it. Media day coverage of college football coaches and players on TV and the internet. John Lewis, what say you? I mean... I'm no, obviously I'm not into watching that, but you know, certainly I'm intrigued to hear what Saban and uh, Jimbo Fisher have to say about each other. Um, you know, that that's intriguing to me. Um, you know, uh, but I mean, I, I, that that's getting into basically you're like listening to fine bomb every day. And, you know, I mean, that's a there level is some of interesting stuff coming out. The sec commissioner, Greg Sankey basically fired the warning shot that they, as one of the leaders here, are not interested in automatic qualifiers for the college football playoff, and they will now essentially oppose that if that is on the table because everybody agreed, well, at least the ACC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12 agreed, let's not do the 12-team playoff that has the automatic qualifiers. So Greg Sankey's thing is now, okay, they walked away from that deal. We don't think there should be automatic qualifiers. Just because you won the Pac-12 or you won the Big 12 doesn't mean you deserve a spot over my SEC teams that would be more deserving. So I did think that was interesting coming out of the media day if, if everybody was paying attention. He's making it clear they will stand in the way of that and object to that if they can. And they have a lot of power. They don't have all the power, but they have a lot of the power. So I just think at this point, you know, let's get rid of the playoff altogether and just go back to the way it was before the BCS, right? Where you just get to the the bowl season. I completely disagree because the playoff still keeps the bowl season intact and it only is for let's get one and two to play each other. And I'm fine with the four teams indefinitely because again, The design is not a full single elimination tournament playoff. It is how do we still have the bowl games, but how do we also ensure that the one and two matchup are the best two teams? And we've decided to do that with a semifinal, with a final four. I'm fine with four. Leave it at four and let the arguing continue that has fueled the sport forever. I just, just, I can't, I can't go back to let's vote. Let's have everybody, no, not no, play no. everybody. And then let's vote on who the national title is. That's not what you're suggesting. Well, right? No, no, no. Let's bring back the computers like in 2002, right? No, look, I mean, the Kali, the, the Kali matrix, whatever. Yeah. The, oh, please. That's no, Saturn theory and all, all the other numbers. In the honest and true. You know, I just feel like the playoff has not produced anything of note. I mean, the first year was amazing and that was it. And every year it's Alabama and Clemson and Georgia. It's already a conference tournament, you know, especially if Clemson were to go into the SEC, you know, and it's, it's just like, what's the point? All this nonsense, all this debate, you know, the conferences always at each other's, uh, always at each other's throats. Uh, To me, I just feel like, forget about it. You know, you're not getting great games anyway. Now, obviously, from the money perspective, hey, keep it going. But just strictly from a football perspective, strictly from the perspective of, well, what is the best for the game of football? I think the playoff is, you know, not necessary. All right. He says, leave it uh, on that one. 
I think pretty well we're going to leave it here at this point. Do we have anything else that we need to cover before we are yes. done here? It's been a busy show. What else? What else do you want to tag in wow. real quick? I, I must say uh, shame on the NBA. Why? Uh, because... Are you saying leave it to – hold on. Let's do it officially. Hold on. Love it or leave it. What are we leaving for the NBA here? So for the last several months, maybe more than a year, maybe years, there have been videos on YouTube, uh, pristine copies of NBA games of your 1990s, obviously the Jordan era, but also the 80s, even the 1970s. These are rare games, games that uh, are not being monetized by the NBA and never will be. The NBA is not going to monetize the 1971 Bullets Knicks game. These are basically historical time capsules of the NBA as it once was and of sports media as it once was, of television as it once was, because a lot of these also include the advertising. And the NBA went on a rampage last week or so and eliminated all of these. One of them had just been uploaded last month and was the full game five of the 1994 finals, the full feed. The basketball is completely irrelevant in this feed. The whole point of it is the basketball and the OJ coverage, right? Yes. Uh, so, you know, and, and this was half of the video was Tom Brokaw cutting in. Uh, and, and these are just tremendously valuable pieces of footage for anybody who cares about the NBA as more than just an ability to make money. But of course, uh, you know, uh, the NBA doesn't care about the NBA as more than anything but an ability to make money. And so they wiped out all of these uh, painstakingly put together videos uh, from multiple accounts uh, from, uh, again, these are rare games and uh, the NBA will never monetize these games. They're never so they're just do doing it. this basically out of spite and because they can, not because they yeah. have financial interest to do because, so. Because somebody put a playlist together of all of Michael Jordan's games that were on YouTube and all of Kobe's games that were on YouTube that anyone who knows anything about YouTube would never in a million years have created because they know how this works. And uh, then those playlists went viral. And I assume that uh, some lawyer somewhere uh, saw that it was easy pickings. Uh, and it's, it's, just a, it's just a real shame. Uh, and a shame on the NBA for that. Because if you care about the NBA as more than just a revenue stream, and if you care about the history of the NBA and the history of sports media, the history of television, uh, those videos were tremendously valuable. And, uh, you know, again, this is a league that is unable to stop kids from pirating its most valuable product, which is live games. They're never going to put a stop to that. And young people have no qualms about pirating those live games. So instead of putting a stop to the actual problem, they uh, go out and wipe out uh, an, an incredible library of the history of the game. Games, again, like games I didn't even know happened. Like I didn't even know the Rockets right. and Knicks played in the playoffs in the 70s. And there's footage from, from those games. So I uh, sincerely hope that the people who had their videos struck down uh, find alternative means. Uh, and uh, just again, just for good measure, shame, shame, shame on the NBA for that. You made me aware of this at the end on Love It or Leave It. I like that. All right, listen, uh, great stuff here as always. One more time, we say Encore Week next week of George Offman's Tell Me a Story I Don't Know will be on this podcast feed. So John and I will be away a little vacay for us, a little vacay as well for Mike and Phil on the Announcer Schedules podcast. You're going to love Bob Costas, Sarah Kustak, Mike Greenberg, Eddie Olchek, Mike Wilbon in Encore form Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of next week enjoy all of those 
with that, my friend, we've come to the end here again. Keep up the great work on the site with the latest news, the latest ratings, with everything else going on. John, always a pleasure to be with you. I always enjoy it. See you in a couple of weeks. All right, there we go. Thanks also to George Hoffman. Tell me a story I don't know. Encore week next week. Uh, again, Bob Nightingale is George's guest for this week, telling all kinds of baseball stories from his over 30 years of covering the game and a lot of baseball social uh, issues as well that Bob uh, weighs in on and covers and the state of the game currently it's perfect here with the lull of all-star week so check out george's feed there mike and phil with the announcer schedules podcast also on this feed the encore week next week of tell me a story i don't know for john lewis i'm tj reeves we appreciate you being with us on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast support for this podcast and the following message come from corient Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.